For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Talking Sacked. And once again, thank you guys so much for joining me. Before we get started, of course, we're going to mention patreon.com slash sassy Steffi. Make sure you go there and subscribe today. It's starting at only $2. You're going to get so many great, great exclusives. So make sure you guys go and check that out. Again, it's patreon.com slash If you guys want to follow along on Instagram and Twitter, please do. It is at sassysteffi on both of those. And if you're listening or watching on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because subscribers are so very important. So make sure you guys go and do that. Also, if you're on YouTube, make sure you hit that little bell notification so you never miss a second of talking sass. And my podcast listeners, if you want to take just a second out of your day and give Talking Sass five stars and rate us, I would greatly appreciate that as well. Now, on to today's guest. I absolutely love this guy. I think he's one of the best wrestling commentators that I've ever had the privilege to call one of my matches. And his magical voice has spanned over so many great promotions, Ring of Honor, Shimmer, Shine, part of the WWN with Evolve, and you've even heard his voice on the WWE Network. And this summer, he makes his grand return to Ring of Honor as one of the voices of the ROH Women's Championship Tournament. So make sure you guys check that out. This is Lenny Leonard. Hey, Lenny, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing quite well. You know, I see you there in your white and green. Is that a Jets jersey or is it just a white and green shirt? It is not. It is actually, and a good thing that your Montreal-based husband isn't there, it is actually the Toronto St. Pats. Ah. Old hockey team. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't on purpose, unlike you, decked from head to toe, literally in Cleveland Browns gear, just for my sake. Yeah. <laughs> for those those who don't know, and for those listening on the podcast who can't see, back when I was seeing Lenny on a regular basis in the Shine days, he would ask me, Stephanie, do you have any clothing that you wear that is not Cleveland sports related? So today what I decided to do just for him is I'm wearing one of my Cleveland Browns beanies. I'm wearing Cleveland Browns earrings. I got a Cleveland Browns wristband on. I got my OBJ jersey. I'm not going to get up and show you guys, but I have my uh, pajama pants. I got socks, and I've also got my Cleveland Browns rain boots, literally head to toe in Cleveland Browns. 
just for Lenny because that's our that's our little gimmick together. That's our thing. That's our thing. <laughs> and no, I, and I, I'm, uh, I'm not wearing the Jets jersey yet because I haven't been able to run out and pick up a Zach Wilson jersey to replace my Sam Darnold, which is now in the garbage. Ah, uh, understandable. See, I Chris got me OBJ for, I think, Christmas or my birthday. I can't remember. And obviously last year he didn't really play that often because he tore his ACL, but I still love OBJ. And I know he's probably a sore spot for you New Yorkers. Not me. I mean, I'm okay. not a Giants fan, so I didn't really <laughs> I okay, just kinda so watch I kinda watch it from a distance. But he is uh when when his head is on right and he is motivated, he is a dynamic football player and a tough matchup for anybody to play against. Problem is, you just don't know which guy you're going to get from week to week. Very true. But last year, he was for about the, I don't know, maybe he played five or six games. He was really on for us, did really well. But you know what? In all honesty, I think him getting hurt, although unfortunate, was probably the best thing for the Cleveland Browns because once OBJ got injured, Baker Mayfield started spreading the ball out a lot more. And that really turned into a lot of big playmakers for us. So I think even though it's unfortunate that he went down and he was playing very well for us, that, you know, we now know that we have a very stellar line to throw to, and hopefully that will continue throughout the season coming up as well. But we'll see how that goes. Watch. Yeah. So anyway, we're not here to talk about football. We're here to talk about wrestling. And everything that you have going on, because I know it was just announced recently, and this is pre-recorded, guys, so you know. And just a couple of days ago, you were on the Ring of Honor podcast, and you are actually going to be returning to Ring of Honor to do the, uh, I was going to say the Women of Honor, but it has been changed, to the ROH Women's World Championship Tournament this summer. I am very, very excited. Uh, it's been 12 years since I last called a show for Ring of Honor. It's going to be different, obviously, than before in that, you know, um, Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman are very much established as the play-by-play tandem uh, for Ring of Honor. So I'm really coming in more as um, a guy who's got a lot of experience in women's wrestling over the last 10 years between my work with Shine and then Shimmer as well, um, and somebody who really does love women's wrestling. So kind of coming in with uh, just the goal of being somebody who can add a little bit to the to the commentary team that's already very good. Um, and I'm excited because I've, I've wanted to work with Ian for a very long time. Uh, we made uh, friends over the Internet. Uh, we've only met a couple of times, uh, a random first meeting in Manhattan, uh, WrestleMania weekend a couple of years ago, literally as I was going for drinks uh, at a bar in Manhattan after a WrestleMania weekend show that I had the same night that Ring of Honor ran Madison Square Garden, Mm -hmm. I was leaving. I had drinks with uh, an old friend from school, um, Dorian Roldan, who runs AAA, and Ed Norholm, who runs Impact Wrestling. Uh, so we were meeting and have a couple of drinks and just talking about some stuff. And I was, as I was leaving, I was walking past the garden to go back to the subway to go back to my dad's house in Queens, where I was staying that weekend. And lo and behold, I see Ian Riccoboni crossing the street with his wife, and he's in a tuxedo. And I was like, "Oh, wait a second. So he 
caught up, caught up with each other, started talking and, uh, we've become pretty good buddies and he's been trying to find a way, uh, to see if they could make something work with bringing me back in. It's something that he's wanted to do for a long time. Uh, and Maria Canales was able to kind of, um, make some things happen behind the scenes and I'm super excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I'm super excited to see who they're going to have in this tournament as well. I mean, obviously, you being familiar with the Shimmer crowd and the Shine crowd, I'm sure we're going to have maybe some old school girls coming in, maybe, hopefully. I don't have any vaccine knowledge to this as of yet. But, I mean, I know at this time, Roxy, who is uh, brand new to the business, she just got the first uh, ticket to the gold recently. I know Angelina Love is also going to be in the tournament, whether she has a first-round buy or not. We're going to find out soon. So I'm really excited to see who else. Uh, I would assume Sumi Sakai is probably going to be in it. But I would love to see if they brought back some of the older girls that were really established Ring of Honor back in, like, even before me, like in 2007, 2006. You know, people like Cheerleader Melissa. I know Mischief. I don't think she's wrestled in a long time, but I'd love to even see her make some kind of impact there as well. Oh, I mean, I could I could book a whole tournament just based on on my own dream matches. I would love to see. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't get much of an insight as to who was going to be in either, so I'm excited to see uh, what's going to happen. Maria said there's going to be a mix of a lot of new faces that you haven't seen before in Ring of Honor, like Roxy, who just 19 years old, mm-hmm. uh, came out of the Booker T school down in Texas. She's been wrestling, I think, for six years already. She started, I think, when she was like 13. Yeah, that's she what I read, herself, too. Calls herself the prodigy, and she is very, very good at a young age. So uh, I'm excited to see her. Angelina Love, somebody I know very well, uh, who's been around a long time and has been successful everywhere she's been. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they can kind of pull out of their hat. Hopefully the travel restrictions are a little bit easier this summer. They have some international talent already under contract, like Session Moth Moth Martina uh, and Kellyanne from down in Australia, uh, who we know from Shimmer as well. So uh, I'm I'm excited for what's to come. It's a great way to kind of get my uh, self back in the mix in the Ring of Honor a little bit. And, And to see the reception that the announcement got this week was really kind of humbling, to be honest. Uh, it's been so long since I've been there. You never really know if anybody remembers when it was that long ago. But uh, it's been pretty positive from everything I've read online, so I'm excited. Definitely. I would be, too. I mean, I wrestled Ring of Honor. I don't know. You were definitely there, I think, when I wrestled my one match for HDNet on Ring of Honor. But I don't know if we met. It was me and Sarah Del Rey versus Daisy Hayes and Nevaeh. I think it was the first ever women's match on HDNet, or it was the second. I can't remember. If HDNet had already started, I may have been on my way out already. Okay. Because that that was right around the time that I was leaving. Okay. Uh, so the tape, what had happened was um, part of the deal for the HDNet thing to happen was that Mike Hogwood was going to have to call the show. He was... He was the guy that had the in with the producers and everybody with HDNet that pitched the show to Ring of Honor. So that was a done deal. Hogwood had to be part of the show. So then it came down to, all right, can we get both Lenny and Dave in there as well, Dave Prezak? Uh, And there was really no way that they were going to be able to make it work. 
And right about that time was when the split between Sal, who uh, lives in Florida, and everybody knows Sal Hamaway, who ran the World Wrestling Network, owned Shine and FIP and Evolve and Dragon Gate USA. He was doing the video production for Ring of Honor DVDs. So every every Ring of Honor show, Dave would fly down to Florida, Gabe would fly down to Florida, and we would do everything down here because I lived in Florida. Um, but then Sal had split about six months after Gabe had le- had gotten let go and Adam Pierce took over the book uh, for Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor decided with the HDNet move they wanted to bring the production back in-house. So that would have meant having to fly both me and Dave into Philadelphia for production. And it, there was just really no way to make it work. And it wasn't anything where it was like a big blow up. It was just kind of one of those things where it was convenient to have me do it when it was in Florida and when it was no longer in Florida and HDNet is in Colorado and ROH is in Philly. It just didn't make sense. It was too expensive a proposition to be flying me around. So uh, it was just one of those things right as that happened. Gabe and Sal were looking for somebody to do Dragon Gate USA and Evolve, and Gabe was kind of purposely trying to avoid using me. He wanted to go a completely different way from Ring of Honor. Yeah, he he didn't want it to be the same sounding looking okay. show. He wanted to go a different way, and he was trying a few people kind of behind the scenes, and he just wasn't getting what he wanted. And then right around the time everything happened, Gabe was like, "Hey, are you interested?" So I gave kind of Adam Pierce the heads up. I said, hey, Gabe asked me if I wanted to do the show. I hope there's no heat, but I'm going to do it. Since kind of can see the writing on the wall here, my contract was up for like six months. Nobody ever renewed or asked me if I wanted to resign. So it was kind of like one of those things where everybody knew what was going to happen before it happened. It was just kind of when is it all going to happen? Right. Um, so Adam was like, no, go. I appreciate you reaching out to me at first and, you know, give me the heads up. He's like, I got no problem with it. If they want to use you, be my guest. And, and Brian Danielson was doing the show. So if it wasn't a problem for Brian, who's far more important than me, I didn't think it would be a big deal if I did the show. So, but I just wanted to do the right thing. And, uh, and then it just kind of really seamlessly led to HDNet going with Dave and Mike Hogwood. And then I went and did Dragon Gate USA and I, I think everybody ended up where they were supposed to end up at the end of the day. So uh, I don't think either side would trade the way things worked out. So, Yeah, it definitely worked out well for you, especially because FIP, Dragon Gate, all of those were based at least in the vicinity of where you were. It's not like, okay, now I got to be in this city or this city or this city to do whatever. It's just like, okay, I can drive a little bit and I'm, you know, there for the show for the most part. Yeah, well, then Dragon Gate and, and Evolve started doing stuff further outside of Florida. Mostly it was really in the Northeast and the Midwest mm. for the longest time. The big change was moving commentary from post-production where we weren't doing it live in the building to where Dragon Gate and Evolve, Gabe wanted to make that switch to where the commentary was happening live in the building while it was going on. It's just a much different feel uh, for a broadcast and a show when you do it that way. So um, there was a, a decent amount of travel, but it was it was enough that I had time to still have my regular life. It wasn't everything that was kind of my whole life. So, and wrestling's never been that for me. I guess I'm kind of lucky in that way uh, in that I've always had uh, a regular job that has paid my bills and supported the family and, and that sort of thing. And wrestling was always just kind of something I did. It mm-hmm. was never like, you know, if I didn't, 
have a show to call, I wouldn't be able to feed my family. So I've been, I've been very lucky from that aspect to be able to still do this 18 years later. It's amazing that it's been 18 years. And I'm so glad that you talked about doing the live commentary for Evolve because one of my personal stories and like, I love it with you. And this has only happened to me probably two or three times in my entire career. It was WrestleMania, what was it, 28 weekend in Miami. There was the Evolve show. And I happened to be managing the scene with um, Amber O'Neill. I see you giggling there, so you obviously know where I'm going with this. Amber O'Neill and Shelly Martinez. And it was against um, Tommy Dreamer and Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish didn't really want anything to do with us, but Tommy Dreamer was throwing us all these spots to do in the match. And I was loving it. Well, before before we even get to that part, so Gabe asked me if I wanted to be a part. And I was like, yeah, sure, definitely. I'll do it, no problem. And he's like, cool. And then Larry Dallas, who also manages the scene on, on a full-time basis, comes up to me and goes, hey, you, you want to take the pile driver from Tommy Dreamer tonight? And I, me, Larry Dallas, is like, he always jokes around, at least around me. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. I, I'm not a big pile driver taker. I don't really trust a lot of people. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem, whatever. And then, like, two minutes later, Tommy goes, I'm so glad you're going to take it, Steph. And I was like, oh, shit, what did I really get myself into? <laughs> so then um, the show, he, like I said, Tommy Dreamer gives us a lot of spots to do. So we go out to the ring. I'm doing all the spots, and then there comes this particular one spot. And like I said, there's been maybe two or three times that this has happened in my entire career where – there's everything going on. The crowd's loud. They're hot for the show. But, like, time just kind of, like, slows down. And all I can hear is you doing commentary in my ears. It's like everything else went silent, and I'm doing this spot with Tommy. So I come in, and he's, he's telling me in the back before we go out, he's like, you're sassy, so, you know, just give me the riot act. You know, just read me left to right. And I'm like, okay. So I'm in there, and I'm, I'm – pointing him in the chest and I'm banging on him and I'm like he's he's like what is wrong with this girl you know and I'm like you can't hit a woman and all I hear is like I said slow motion is you being like apparently sassy Stephanie has never seen ECW (laughs) and I'm like I'm dying inside when I hear this but of course I'm still going through with the spots and so it turns out to be the Beulah spot where he grabs me by the back of the hair and then um Amber comes in. She goes to try to punch him. He grabs her by the back of the hair, brings us in, makes out with us, but happens to use his tongue. And I I can't wait to have Tommy Dreamer on the show one day because I want to tell the story as well. Licks my eyeball. Thank God. I don't think I was wearing contacts that day because I'd, I'd probably have to go get a new pair. But licks my eyeball. And, like, I just – I can always remember that time, that commentary where time just slowed down. Because, like, I heard the crowd, too. They were doing ECW chants. But, like, all I could hear, like, directly into my eardrum was, apparently Sassy Steffi has never seen ECW. <laughs> well, I'm, I, you know what? I got to tell you, I don't remember that spot. Oh, really? Um, no, I don't. I, I was more worried that I was going to have said something off-color and insulting because at that period – we were looking to kind of make commentary a little edgier mm-hmm. during the scene matches. And, mm-hmm. and especially when they would use Trina Michaels, who is one of the sweetest 
women I've ever met in my life. Um, and in her prior life was an adult film star. Um, so I would make a lot of looking back now, cringeworthy commentary notes during her match, alluding to her prior career as a master thespian. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, and, and now, especially in light of, you know, how far women's wrestling has come and, so I would make comments about, you know, her prior career as a, well, let's just call it a, a master thespian. Um, and I just, as time went on, I kind of became much more cognizant of it, especially when uh, all the speaking out stuff happened and Me Too uh, and Portia Perez, you know, did a great thing by offering to uh, have a bunch of shows, you know, re-edited and commentary redone if there was anybody who ever had commentary um, that they weren't really proud of based on some of the things that have happened. And it really kind of made me step back and look at that time period. And I realized that a lot of that stuff was just completely out of bounds. And, and none of it was done without Trina's knowledge. None of it was done with um, any malice uh, of, of intent or anything like that. And Trina was, you know, always a great sport about everything uh, that went on, and I, I considered her a, good, a dear friend at the time, and I haven't talked to her in a bit, but, um, you know, it, I, I became aware of it, and it kind of bothered me that we had done that at that point in time, and I kind of uh, always look back at that time and kind of cringe when people ever, anytime somebody brings up something commentary-wise from back then, mm-hmm. I always kind of go, oh, what is it going to be? Please tell me it's not something <laughs> I'm going to be embarrassed about. Um, so I'm glad it wasn't that in this case, and it was just something funny. No, it's actually, like, like <laughs> I told you, that, like, whole, like, I don't remember all the spots that he gave us, but that particular one, the ECW spot, Eula making out, and just, I, all I could hear, like, I had the ECW chant, they were, like, really faded, really. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But you're, like, and you're not even on, like, a live mic in the crowd. It's just you up in a booth talking, and I could hear it. And I just, like, like I said, it's happened two or three times with me in my life while I was wrestling that I actually, like, time seemed to slow down, and I could just hear the commentator at the time. And the comments never were ever horrible, at least not that I'm aware of when I was wrestling. But it was it was hilarious and fun, and I loved it, so... That is a funny moment. I may have to go back and watch that one now. <laughs> well, if you have it, send it to me because I've been looking for it because I'm like, this is awesome. I would love to have it. And I found it once, but it was like, it was a very short clip, I think, on YouTube. And I don't know what happened to it after that point because I remember that match was, was pretty lengthy with them. But nevertheless. I may have to do some digging. I'm pretty sure I have most of that stuff on DVD somewhere. Mm-hmm. in my house I boxed up a lot of stuff and threw it in the attic a long time ago just because I was running out of places to keep it and it's not like I would ever go back and rewatch them like I literally have 
dozens of Ring of Honor DVDs still in the plastic from when I was doing commentary there that have never been opened. I think I even still have a copy of the very first ROH pay-per-view DVD that's never been opened. Like, I could probably throw it on eBay and get a decent amount of money for it uh, for collectors, but... But I'd have to find I'd have to find it. That's the trick. <laughs> Easier <laughs> said the, than done. That's the same thing with me. Like I'm literally I have a, in my basement is where I set up my studio, and in my storage on the other side of the basement, like I have so many DVDs, and there's a couple matches I'll go back and watch, like just because like I know to me they stand out for whatever reason. But like most of them are still in the plastic, or I've never opened or watched them just because like. I don't know. I just don't go back and see them that often, I guess. But, like, I really should put, like, my matches if I'm allowed to because, obviously, Shimmer, they, they don't want you to put their uh, matches online because they're still selling physical DVDs. But other places, I'm sure they're probably like, we haven't sold that DVD in 10 years. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? So, But it's crazy because, like, it's just literally sitting there. And it's like, okay, maybe one day I'll so- show this to my kid, but – all right, well, let's talk more because when I was doing my research, like, I want to go all the way back to when you were a little kid because oh, I found it so fascinating because, I mean, you literally grew up in New York City and you were getting the Observer, you were talking about Dave Meltzer, and, I mean, you have been basically, like, in like involved with wrestling, not as a kid, obviously not involved, but you were, like, loving it as a child and just kind of grew and what I saw is a great quote was that wrestling pursued you not the other way around it does seem that way I always kind of <laughs> joke and when everybody asks me like in real life mm-hmm. how did how did you ever end up getting involved with that and I always kind of joke I was in the wrong place at the right time like <laughs> it just kind of happened like it's one of those really weird stories like I was never supposed to ever do anything in wrestling for one day let alone pushing 18 years at this point um but I did always love it as a kid I remember you know five years old 1976 channel nine uh in New York City seeing superstar Billy Graham like winning the WWWF championship um and just mesmerized by you know Afa and Sika the Samoans Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito and just Jules and Jay Strongbow and just Bob Backlund. And I just was mesmerized by it as a kid. Uh, and then I remember being eight, nine years old and uh, saving money every month until that last Tuesday of the month where Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the wrestler and main event would all come out and you would be literally running to the newsstands, which they used to have newsstands. Actually, they still do in the with not anywhere else um you would go it's called the smoke shop you go to the smoke shop and i had the whole wall of just magazines uh and then every that last tuesday of the month bam there were all the aftermaths and i would just just be engrossed in them for just days and i'd read them cover to cover uh until the next month when i can get another one um and then like 10 i'm 10 or 11 yeah about 10 and I'm staying up late one night on a Tuesday when I should be asleep for school. And I'm flipping the channels on a little black and white TV that I'm hiding under my covers as I was watching the Yankee game. Uh, and I 
turned into like a UHF station. It's channel 47 and it's in Spanish and the commercial ends. And the next thing I know, I hear this music and it's championship wrestling from Florida and Gordon Soli is on. And now I'm hooked. Blackjack Mulligan, Dusty Rhodes. And I'm just, my eyes, like I've never seen anything like this in my life. I'd seen them all in the magazine. Mm-hmm. but I'd never actually watched them wrestle. Like I knew Dusty Rhodes as great because I read about him being great. I never actually got to watch him until all of a sudden there he was on a Tuesday night on a station when the, when the commercials came on, I didn't understand a word they were saying, but I didn't care. Right. Um, and the WWF would do these localized house show promos and interviews that they would stick in, in the middle of the show during the commercial breaks. So you'd be watching championship wrestling from Florida. They would go to a commercial. It would be a Goya bean commercial in Spanish. And then it would come back and Vince McMahon is doing an interview about the show that's coming up in the garden for the WWF that month. And I was, my mind was blown away that these two worlds were kind of intersecting. And then that kind of led me to finding Dave Meltzer somehow and, reading the observer as a teenager and then uh it just kind of one thing led to another and i just was always engrossed by it and just loved it even as i got to like young adult and it wasn't really cool to watch wrestling anymore um it didn't matter i still watched it i just couldn't get enough of it i was just a ravenous consumer of uh whatever i could get my hands on tape trading you name it i did it uh japanese tapes like people these days don't understand how good they have it to literally have the entire history of wrestling at your fingertips where I had to stick cash in an envelope and mail it to some stranger in the hopes that in four weeks there was going to be a seventh generation copy of the best of the jumping bomb angels for me to play on a VHS recorder somewhere like it's just what we had to go through to consume wrestling then compared to now this is just it's mind-boggling and it also just shows you how old i am (laughs) well i mean on top of that like when i first started coming into wrestling tapes was still a thing too like so like i would have to go out not necessarily you know buying it anywhere but like i'd have to get the promoter to let me, you know, get the tape that they have so that I could put it on my tape so that I could put it together so I could send it to a promotion and hopes that they would eventually get in contact with me and book me. And then really early in the beginning of my career it became CDs, which came a little bit more affordable, thank God, or DVDs rather. And now it's like, okay, just throw something on YouTube and throw it and who gives, you know, it's going to happen. People are going to watch Send me it. a link. You guys don't even understand. No, they don't know. Understand. Like, I would have to go, like, when I was first, you know, wrestling, and I was only wrestling probably my first 10 matches or so were at this one promotion where I trained. I'd have to sit there. The show was Saturday night on Sunday, and I'd have to sit there and watch every single match on the card because everybody else who trained at the school would also be getting their matches. And it's like, I don't want to do this. Like, I just want my match. Come on. So it was, you know, it's a big difference between, I mean, this was 2007 when I started wrestling, you know. So, I mean, to see the jump that it's made in the 14 years alone is crazy. But to think of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, what people had to go through, like, 
when I had on like Shane Helms and Molly Holly and people like them, I'm like, how did these promotions even find you? Because it's completely different than what, you know, they started in the 90s, you know, what we all have gone through. Yeah, it's insane to think about the changes just technology-wise and trying to get booked and uh, being able to put together stuff and the things that the kids now are able to do just themselves with being able to edit video packages and, you know, put together GIFs and, and highlight reels and just bang, just send them out to a million places in the blink of an eye. Like it's, it's nothing. Uh, yeah. The post it's, is needed. <laughs> now, the, the flip side for me, though, is I, ne- and I never, ever <laughs> – this is the God's honest truth. Until maybe three years ago – now, we'll call it four – I to oh, anyone yeah. ever to get to try and get booked. That's amazing. Ever. Because I only worked a couple of places. I never, like, different for an announcer. Like, nobody's, no indies are paying to fly announcers in 100%. to do commentary, right? That's not happening. Um, but I was lucky in that I, I started with a local indie here in Florida, again, completely by accident. I was friends with the guy who ran it. I was running a business locally here, and I said, you know what, I'll help you move tickets if you want to put up posters, whatever you want to do. Like, I would, I literally kept a stack of tickets for every show. If people wanted to come in, I'd try and push tickets for them, and then I'd give them the cash. I didn't want anything for it. He was just my friend. Um, and I think that's why he trusted me, as I wasn't trying to get in. He, Ron Nimi was like still super old school. Like, you don't trust anybody, doesn't let anybody in. And he, I wasn't trying to get in. So I think that's why he liked me because I was just his friend. Yeah. Um, never tried to hit him up for anything. And it, we were just, we were just buddies. And he got stuck for an announcer one night in that the guy who was his normal ring announcer was running late. It was five minutes before showtime. The guy was going to be like, a half hour late and missed the first couple of matches. He's like, Lenny, can you do it? And I'm like, I've never done this before. He's like, you've been watching wrestling for 25 years. What is so difficult? Just find out what they weigh and where they're from and say their freaking names until this guy shows up. I was literally wearing a t-shirt and shorts because it was a hundred degrees in the building with no air conditioning. And I was just there to watch the show. Mm-hmm. So I did like two matches and then the guy showed up, did the rest of the show. The next show was two weeks later. Same thing happened. I did two, three matches. The guy shows up. He finished the rest of the show. The month after that, I got smart and threw dress clothes in my car just in case. Yeah. And then the guy didn't show at all. And then at that point, it was my job, whether I wanted it or not, I was doing it. He's like, you're, you're doing it. I can't deal with this anymore. Just do it. I need you to do this for me so I don't have – it's one more thing I don't have to worry about because I know if you do it, I don't have to worry about it. I'm like, fine. So that was kind of the beginning of NWA Florida, IPW, um, which then kind of was in a rivalry with FIP. Like they were arch enemies. They hated each other. Ron and Sal, like they were oil and water. Um, and it was very vicious, the, the battles between them. But then it kind of like everything else in wrestling just fizzled out. Uh, and they ended up becoming friends because that's wrestling, right? Um, 
and Sal was re kind of starting FIP in a different mode where he was using older guys from the, from like the big, big time that were like at the end trickled in with a bunch of younger guys just starting out and he wanted, didn't want to do that anymore. So he was doing the ROH stuff at that point, And he's like pitched an idea to Gabe to come in and book like a sister indie to ring of honor. That's what FIP was going to be kind of rebranded as. So he was bringing in, homicide and punk and joe and roddy and all those guys uh and so i was just doing ring announcing for them at first and sal kept trying to push me to do commentary for fip but they were using a guy mark nolte and gabe was comfortable didn't want to do it didn't want to do it and then finally they had it with nolte and they gave me a shot to do fip with dave um then that kind of led to punk who was doing ring of honor with gabe and dave was on his way out because he was about to sign mm. and Gabe was really not wanting to do commentary anymore because it was just too much work right. between booking the shows and promoting the shows and being online 24 hours a day to push the shows and then having to edit the shows. It just commentary on top of it was too much. So he kind of gave me another one of those, let's see how he does deals uh, where I did, the first half of a Ring of Honor show from Buffalo, uh, which I believe was the first show that Dragon Gate guys came over for. And I did the first half of that show, and then I did the first half of the next show. Then a month later, I did the whole show except the main event because Gabe still wanted to call the title matches because that was kind of a big deal at that point. Mm -hmm. And then a month or two after that, it was me and Dave alone from then on. Um, and it was just weird that it was always one thing that kind of led to another, but never me chasing anything. I just kind of fell into all of it. So, <laughs> Well, that's, that's crazy because you mentioned when you first started, like the guy just needed a ring announcer. That's actually how I got started too, as well. Like I was going to a show weekly and I was just basically hanging out and I had been working at a bowling alley as a DJ and snack bar attendant. I was basically like doing everything pretty much that I could at that job. But on the weekends, I primarily just wanted to, to do the DJing because I loved broadcasting and stuff. So one of the guys actually was like, hey, Stephanie works down the road as a DJ. Just have her ring announced tonight because the guy was sick or something. So they're like, okay, sure. Yeah, no problem. Throw her in there. And then like I never stopped after that. And then like, of course, at that time – Lillian Garcia was the only woman ring announcer anywhere. So as soon as that picked up that a woman was doing ring announcing, I was traveling all over Ohio doing shows and it was just kind of like accidentally fell into all of this. Cause I mean, when I was a kid, you would never have heard, even though I was watching wrestling all the time, you would never have hear me say, Oh, I want to be a wrestler when I grow up or oh, I want to be a ring announcer when I grow up. It just kind of found me and I loved it. And I was like, okay, let's dive in. Yeah, like as a kid, I I had always loved listening to like baseball and basketball and hockey, football on the radio. Like I was mesmerized by radio announcers when it came to sports. And I was blessed to have Marv Albert in New York, who was just the best ever. Um, and I I always would just something I always loved and thought I could have been good at, but just by happenstance never had the chance to pursue it. I uh, 
dropped out of college early because my mother passed away. I ended up getting married super young. I had a kid. Um, and then life just kind of took me a different way. So I, the other funny thing that, that most people don't believe is that I literally have zero training in announcing broadcasting communications, nothing. I was never taught how to do any of this. They literally handed me a mic and said, talk. <laughs> and that's, that's amazing because I mean, so many people, they do, like I said, I went to broadcasting school. I know other people have done, you know, communications degrees and all these kind of things that go into it. And just to come out and be such a natural at it, I mean, that says how good that your voice is just naturally on a microphone without any training. Yeah, I've always been very, very lucky to have uh, a voice that sounded like I could do this. So that, that for me, I think was half the battle, right? I didn't have to try and find a voice. I come from a long line of very, very loud Greek New Yorkers. Um, so it being loud and being able to project comes naturally uh, to me. So it's not something I really had to learn how to do. So that part was easy. And then just watching wrestling as much as I have throughout my life, I began to kind of just pick up certain things by ear that, you know, that sounds good. Maybe I could try that. And I, I think I've been, I've been good at finding things I can steal from a lot of different people and kind of turn them into my own thing, which is what any successful wrestler really does too, right? Nothing, everything in wrestling is stolen from somewhere, right? Somewhere, very, exactly. very little is innovated in wrestling, or at least, exactly. at least it, none of what's innovated is, is ever made famous by the person who innovated it. Mm -hmm. Someone else who was already famous usually stole it. <laughs> and then it became famous, right? So that's kind of what I was able to do is take a little bit from Gordon Soley, a little bit from Jim Ross, a little bit from Bob Cottle, a little bit from Lance Russell, a little bit from Vince McMahon, and just a little bit from Joey Styles, and kind of just meld it all into my own kind of style and, and way of doing things. Um, so it's, it's worked for me, but it's, it's just surreal a lot of times to look back and just, and I didn't start until I was in my thirties too. That's the other thing. I started very late. Um, I was, I didn't do anything in wrestling. Like most people get in in their twenties uh, or now it's there. Look at Roxy starting at 13, 19. She's in the ring of honor world title tournament. Like, Izzy as well. Yeah, and I just had Izzy. I have a radio. I have a radio show down here uh, in Tampa uh, on Saturday mornings, and I I had Izzy on this week. And the kid is just amazing. She is such a natural. She is so talented, um, and she's got the thing that I love the most is that she has really good parents that are with her every step of the way. They're not pushing her to do something she doesn't want to do. They're doing what you would hope any good parent does, and that's support her mm -hmm. um, as much as possible and smarten her up to, you know, what to look out for and who to stay away from and how to protect. They're already very cognizant of protecting her brand, uh, which puts her miles away from most people in wrestling. A ton of people. <laughs> Myself included, because if you watch my Twitter, I'm very bad at protecting my brand on Twitter. <laughs> Totally understandable, though, because Twitter, I mean, you can most of the time get away with saying just about anything. 
Yeah, I try to be better about it, but like my kids won't even follow me on Twitter anymore. They've had it. <laughs> Daddy just talks too much nonsense. Let's talk more about your radio show because, I mean, this started uh, recently from what I've seen from your tweets, like the last month or so, right? Yeah, it's been just about two months. It's so funny. So, uh, and it's with Ron Eamie who started me in wrestling. And I always joke, I don't know whether to thank him or blame him for all of this. <laughs> um, probably a little of both. But we were talking one day because we have a friend, uh, Howard, who's been in the indie scene down here for a while as um, Dante Brown. And he's done a lot of stuff locally with like FIP and, and, and ACW up in Newport Ritchie. And his regular job though, is he's the general manager of a radio station down here. It's a black owned uh, station. It's super popular. Uh, they have, uh, it's an AM station, but they have an FM simulcast as well. They also have two other transponders that bounce the signal out in two other areas. So it really it's one station, but it's four different signals that it's one signal with four stations and it covers most of the 3 million people here in the Tampa Bay area uh, because it'll play it on all four simultaneously. And he used to do a show at night on once a week about MMA and wrestling and boxing. And then it just kind of fizzled out um, for one reason or another, he just didn't have time to do it anymore. And I had just been speaking with Ron randomly and I don't know why I asked. And I said, Hey, is Howard still doing that radio show at night? And he's like, no, he doesn't have time for that anymore. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. I really like doing it because I did the show with him a couple of times and I had a blast. I'm like, that's a shame. I had fun doing that. I said, we should do something like that. And I literally said it just like that. We should do something like that. And Ron said, you know what? You're right. We should do something like that. Hold on a second. And literally 15, it, I hand to God, 15 minutes later, he goes, what are you doing on the 27th? And I'm like, nothing. Why? He's like, we've got a show. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what do you mean we have a show? I'm like, we have to, what, what, we don't have a show. He's like, no, Howard's going to give us a half an hour on Saturday mornings. And I'm like, he's just going to give it to us? He's like, yeah, he's like, we can have it. It's a, he has that out. He has like an hour block in that time frame that he can do whatever he wants with it. Um, he like normally will get like 75 bucks or 150 an hour for it. And he's like, you guys can have it. That's so awesome. he literally, he literally just gave us a time slot. The studio is gorgeous, state of the art. Uh, we've got a, a regular producer who's in there running the board. And he just was like, do it. And he's like, oh, and by the way, I got Eric Bischoff for your first show. <laughs> I saw that. That was amazing. The week he gets inducted in the Hall of Fame, he gets announced for the Hall of Fame, we get Eric Bischoff. The next week of the Hall of Fame, we get Molly Holly, uh, which Ron was able to throw off because Ron and, Ho and Molly go way back because Molly kind of started here in Tampa. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just kind of one of those, again, another thing in with me in wrestling that just kind of happened that I wasn't pursuing. It was literally just an offhanded comment. You know, we should do that. Like we should own a bar or we should buy a boat, like stuff that's never going to happen. Right. You're, you're literally manifesting your own destiny. Apparently. <laughs> if I would known it was that easy, I would have manifested the lottery win a hundred years ago. Me too. But yeah, so it just kind of happened and we've had a ball with it. And, and I just, it's been a lot of fun. It's only a half an hour. So it goes super fast. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, it, it's, I think at some point we'll be able to kind of expand it a little bit more, make it an hour, 
Uh, he's kind of got a lead on some sponsors to put some money into it for the station, which is great because anytime you can make them money, they'll give you whatever you want. So, um, and we really haven't had to try too hard to get guests. We've been able to kind of just tap into personal relationships, mm-hmm. which has been good because we both have been around forever. So we're able to kind of get people. But I, I th- once we can start kind of tapping into WWE and AEW and getting bigger guests and things like that, I think we'll be able to kind of expand it and do a little more with it. And then the other thing is the people who own that radio station also own a TV station that's in like 28 or 29 million homes at this point. Um, and they already have one radio show, Martin Gramatica, who's the kicker for the Buccaneers for years down here. He yeah. does a show and they've actually turned it into a TV show on that network from the same radio station. So the plan, hopefully if things kind of fall right and we can get this radio show to where it's kind of running on all cylinders and doing the way we want it to where it's an, an hour long show it may end up, on TV too at some point. And again, another thing I've never chased in my life that may fall into my lap or it may turn out to be absolutely nothing and get me nowhere, but it's still fun. And it's an experience um, that I never would have gotten had it not been for wrestling. So uh, it's, it's, it's crazy that a lot of things have just kind of fallen into my lap. I'm very, I'm very, very lucky uh, in a lot of aspects in life. Like I said in that quote that I saw somewhere else from you, like wrestling really pursued you instead of vice versa. So, I mean, it seems to be still doing the same. Like you're no, you think you're done? Nope, not happening. Forget it. You're you're still here. Let's go. It's funny because a couple of times over the last couple of years, I I saw myself kind of being done. Mm-hmm. Like I I thought I was getting to the point where you know what. This is never going to be the thing that pays my bills. So I'm, I'm getting older. I've done pretty much everything I could ever want to have done other than maybe one or two things at that point. What, what am I still hanging on for? I could be, instead of getting on a plane at five in the morning to go do a random indie show in Detroit and Chicago for a weekend in front of like 500 people, I could be in the pool with my kids or going out to dinner with my wife. There's like a million other things I could be doing. Mm-hmm. Why am I still doing this? And obviously at the end of the day, the answer is you love it, right? You just, you just, I love to do it. Um, and I don't have any other hobbies. That's the other thing. Like I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble. Like I don't chase girls anymore. Like I don't do anything else, right? I work and I come home and I'm with my wife and kids. This is literally the only thing that gets me out of the house. Yeah. Um, so why not do it as long as I can and it's still fun and it's not getting in the way of anything. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't take a huge time commitment for me um, because I was always picky about where I worked. Right. I didn't go chasing a lot of stuff. So I wasn't that indie guy who was trying to hustle every weekend. I knew I was working one weekend a month when that weekend was for the next three months in a row and I could plan my life, and this was always just something I did. So I'm from that aspect, I've been I've been lucky, and also lucky in that I have a very good real job that allows me to be able to do this for fun and not have to kind of chase it to um, be the be all and end all in my life. So I'm 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 way ahead when it comes to a lot of folks when it comes to that, and I and I recognize that. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's great that you actually, like, understand, like, 
the hustle that everybody else does, but like you can still have your own life. Like now for me, like my hustle, instead of trying to go out and find bookings is trying to find guests. Like you said, like tapping in so far, a lot of the guests that I've had have been people that I've known so far, but now I'm starting to get to the end of that rope. And it's like, oh, now I really got to hustle to ask some of these people that I'm not as familiar with. Maybe I work shows with them or whatever, but it's like, now it's a hustle for that. And it's like, wow, the difficulty in trying to get some guests is, is crazy at sometimes. And I respect the hell out of folks who are able to, and I'll, and I'll tell you right now off the top of my head, Allison Kay, uh, for one, you know, to be able to, Allison for a long time had a regular job that she used to help kind of support her wrestling career. And then finally one day she's like, you know what? I, I can't do this with one foot in and one foot out. I have to do it with everything I've got or I can't do it anymore. And she took that leap and she's been very, very successful uh, since doing that. And I have a ton of respect for anybody who can do that. I, I don't have that in me, not just because I'm old, but I was never who could not know that he was going to have a regular paycheck. I I, I couldn't even do everybody. Everybody would always tell me because of the way I could talk. Oh, you should do sales. You'd be, you would make so much money doing sales. No, I, I would not be a good salesperson because I would be nervous every single day that I wasn't going to eat the next week if I did sell something. Mm-hmm. because I needed to know I was going to have a paycheck and I couldn't yep. do that. Um, so I respect a great deal people who have the ability to do that. Uh, and, and the funny thing is most of the people in wrestling who do that are the women. So I really do respect it uh, a lot more when, when seeing what they're capable of, what the women are capable of doing uh, and finding a way to monetize um, the wrestling business to be able to support themselves and, and, and lead happy and, and very uh, full existences inside of wrestling. It's, it's impressive, but I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And, and Allison Kay, I mean, I don't know how in the world, maybe she turns them down. I like, I don't talk to her on, on a daily basis, but how is this woman not signed to a major company? She literally has everything. And she yeah. everything. You know, I, I learned a long time ago that if you try to figure stuff out, stuff like that out, you're going to end up beating your head against the wall because <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, right? There are, there are a lot of super talented people that never get that opportunity. And a lot of people that you wouldn't think are good enough, quote unquote, um, that are in you know, prime spots and making really good money because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a business that's run in the eye of the beholder, right? It's, yep. it's what somebody sees on a given day strikes them that makes them see dollar signs in someone. And they say, you know what, today's your day. And it's literally in a lot of cases, it's like hitting the lottery. You just are the right person in the right spot on the right day. Uh, and even like with me, I, I was never chasing it. I never, I never made it the be all and end all. I was convinced 
after I got off the air, the day we did the Evolve WWE Network special, I was convinced I was going to get signed. Convinced. Oh, yeah? Like, I, I would have loved that. I, I, in my mind, I basically said there's nothing, there's nothing else I could do to make them see that I can do this than what I just did. Mm-hmm. I announced a three-hour live special on their network by myself. Mm-hmm. It had never been done before. It will never be done again, ever. And it didn't work. It didn't happen. And I was getting, while I was on the air, I'm getting texts and pings from WWE wrestlers, WWE producers, backstage people. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it didn't happen. And I, and I wasn't angry about it, and I wasn't bitter. I just knew if that didn't do it, it's just not going to happen. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like I'm, and this, this is a conversation, actually, that Larry Dallas and I have had a million times. Because he, he is so driven and so focused and wants it so bad, he doesn't understand how it doesn't bother me that I never got there. He's like, he's like, I don't understand how it doesn't kill you knowing you should be there. And I'm like, at the end of the day, I've done more than I ever expected I was ever going to do. I was always just a guy who was happy to buy a ticket. And I got to travel the world. I got to go to Japan twice. I got to do a show live in Cork and Hall. I got to announce a show on the WWE Network. Like, how can I be bitter and angry? Like, I, because I didn't make it. Mm-hmm. I made it. I made it. I made plenty out of nothing. Yeah. Uh, so there's nothing to be angry or bitter about. I've had 18 years and counting of tremendous experiences that I'll remember forever. And I've made friends across the world uh, because of this. So what? Just because they didn't want my name on a piece of paper, so they would have to give me a check every two weeks, it it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I, it doesn't bother me. I'm still gonna wake up tomorrow, and I'm still gonna love wrestling, and I'm still gonna love what I'm doing, and I'm still gonna get up and go work at a bank, and be able to pay my bills and feed my kids, and go on vacation with my wife. Everything everything happens for a reason. I can't control. I'll never get angry about things I can't control. And them wanting to sign you is not something you can control. All you can do is put yourself in the best possible position for them to see your talent and then make the call. And if they don't make it, then they don't make it. It's It's, It doesn't mean that I can't, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I think I may have always had a what if, if the WWE special didn't happen. Right. If I never had that opportunity, then maybe there's always that what if, right? What else could I have done? Like I could was I really good enough or was it all in my head kind of a thing, right? But knowing that I did it on their network and it's gonna be on Peacock from now until the end of time or WWE Network whenever they take it back after five years or wherever it's gonna be, it's immortalized forever. I showed for one night that I could have done anything they would have asked me to do. And that's good enough for me. So. And I mean, it really puts you up there with the best of the best commentators. I mean, in my opinion, I already thought that, but then you do like evolve 
for a whole show by yourself, proving it to WWE. Obviously, like you said, you were contacted during the show by WWE officials, the wrestlers, like, just, wow, you're killing it. I mean, what else, I mean, besides that paycheck from WWE, what else more could you ask for in life? And I'll, and I'll say this, the folks in WWE have always been good to me. And it's not to say that um, that any of my interactions with them have ever been negative. Mm-hmm. I, I've been able to go to the Performance Center. I've been able to go to NXT TV and sit with Michael Cole and Mara Ronaldo and Tom Phillips. And they have availed themselves to me anytime I've ever had a question or wanted some advice William Regal, like everyone there has treated me like a million dollars, far, far better than they probably would ever have to treat somebody like me. So I was always appreciative of any moment that I had uh, to be able to be in the facility and kind of pick their brains and and watch how they did things. And especially Michael Cole uh, taking literally hours of time to sit with me. Uh, and explain things and you know he didn't have to do that this is a guy who is very very busy who is flying all over the world and running their their announcing department and he literally just sat there with me and said ask me anything you want just let's go it's just me and you let's just talk and we just talked about announcing for like an hour twice Uh, and I probably learned more about announcing psychology and this is and I say this regularly for anybody who uh, goes on Twitter and hates Michael Cole. Michael Cole could be as good as anybody to ever do this if that's what he was asked to do. As If Michael Cole was asked to be a wrestling announcer, he would be one of the best wrestling announcers of all time because he gets it. He understands it. Mm-hmm. He has a, a encyclopedic knowledge of wrestling psychology and the hows and the whys and the whens to do things when you're calling a match. But they don't want Michael doing that. That's not his job. Michael Cole's job on SmackDown is to sell network subscriptions when they had the network or pay-per-views when they had pay-per-views, and now it's to sell Peacock. That's his job. He is a traffic cop. It's, hey, let's tell a quick story so you can buy this lunchbox, so you can buy this T-shirt, so you can buy this championship belt. That's Michael Cole's job, and he is great at it. But Mm -hmm. he could do the same style of announcing that everybody loved Mauro Ronaldo for, that everybody liked me for, that everybody liked Joey Styles for. He could do that if that's what they wanted him to do, but that's not his job. Wow. That's that's amazing that you have this kind of insight with them. You know, you're able to take full advantage of these. Every time I was ever at WWE, I also had fantastic, fantastic time. I remember um, just a quick side story here. When I was there, I don't know, maybe six years ago, uh, Carmella was champion. I had had my match in the ring before SmackDown because that's when the matches for the extra talent always happened. And we were obviously whoever I worked. I think it was um, Alexandra Bale. I think if I'm if I'm correct this time. And she was like clear across the other side of the ring. After our match was over, we slid out. You know, we're talking about our match, whatever. She comes over, introduces herself, and she smacked down women's champion at this time. And she's like, hi, I just want to let you know you girls did great, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, with WWE, this is what they would expect in this spot, in this spot, in this spot that you did. But otherwise, you guys did fantastic. It's just a matter of working TV and being able to know that you know and I was just like looking at her like you're the women's champion right now on Smackdown you don't 
has to come talk to two girls you've never met in your entire life. And she sat there, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes talking to us. And it's like, these people don't have to take the time out of their day to do that because they have a million other things that they're doing, <laughs> especially the champions. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's cool when you get that ability to interact with folks. And, I'm, and granted, I know a little bit different for me in that Gabe was working there as well at the same time he was booking Evolve. He was kind of one foot in, one foot out. And mm. WWE and, and WWN had that kind of relationship where they were sending NXT guys and girls to us to kind of get a little more experience working in front of different crowds and indie crowds and kind of learning how to hone their, their gimmicks and stuff like that. So granted, I, I know that that's what got me kind of in the door with that opportunity. Um, to be able to sit there and talk to them. And I, I was always super appreciative of it. Morrow, though, I actually had already known uh, personally for a while and that Morrow came to the first Dragon Gate show we did in Canada oh, uh, and, and, and hung out with me uh, at intermission. And we talked for like a good half hour uh, and then after the show as well. So Morrow has always been like uh, super, super great uh, to deal with for me. And, um, Arda O'Cal was there, another another good Canadian boy that I've become mm-hmm. friends with, and ended up he did stuff with me and Evolve and Dragon Gate, and then he ended up getting signed, uh, and he was in WWE. Everybody that I've had to deal with at WWE, I've had nothing but positive experiences with. So uh, I've been I've been pretty lucky from that aspect, and that I've I've had a pretty good pretty good run of, of being able to make contact with some good people there. Well, that's awesome. But let's go ahead. Do you have any sort of like social media or anything you want to put over so people can follow you and see what's going on in the world of Lenny? It's pretty much just Twitter at WWN Lenny Leonard, uh, which I'll probably have to change that at some point because there really isn't a lot of WWN stuff that I do uh, anymore. <laughs> anymore. Um, I'm doing Shine still, and I may do some stuff for the Eddie Kingston shows. Uh, now that I'm fully vaccinated, I'm a little more comfortable. I, I basically took myself out of the game for most of the last year, and I've had opportunities uh, to do some stuff. But with everything going on with COVID, I just wasn't comfortable uh, participating in a lot of stuff that was going on, uh, especially down here in Florida, because people down here just don't care um, about COVID. It's not. It's 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 been over since last March down here. No one just ever told anybody. Um, so I, I purposely kind of just pulled myself back and it, it really kind of killed me a little bit this year, especially with WrestleMania being here in Tampa, literally 15 minutes from my house. Uh, I had the opportunity to, to do a lot of stuff this, that weekend and I passed on all of it, um, which was a little disappointing because there was some stuff that I was really excited to, to do, but I just, I could not bring myself to take the chance just because I do have a regular job that counts on me. It's kind of uh, a, an important job in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the business I'm in. So I couldn't take a chance on getting sick and putting my family at risk. And uh, so I just was super cautious and I passed. And now I've gotten my vaccines. And actually in this weekend, I will be uh, fully vaccinated because I'll be two weeks past my second shot. So now I'm going to be a little more open about being willing to do some stuff. So that's kind of where the ROH thing happened and mm-hmm. uh, this summer and shine is running again in June. So I'll be doing that. So you'll, you'll probably be able to see me out and about a little more. Um, so between the radio show and then the indie stuff that I'm doing and then the regular job, I should be pretty busy for the foreseeable future, which is good. It keeps me out of trouble. 
Well, I wish you the best of luck in all that you have coming up. And of course, anything you do in the future, because I absolutely love every time that I've talked to you and I love listening to your commentary, even if I'm not involved, like at Evolve or Shine. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're always one of my favorite people to hang out with at Shine too. And, and I'm happy that you're having such a full life uh, north of the border uh, with your Montreal Canadian loving family. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, for me, obviously being a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm used to horrible seasons, so <laughs> we just started a, turning it around. So uh, You're talking to a Jet fan here, so. Yeah, I know. We we have the same uh, heartaches most seasons, so maybe sure, the Jets yeah. can turn it around in a couple of years, too, like the Browns have. I mean, remember, Thanks. what was it, 2016 or 17, the Browns went 0-16, so, and now here we are. It's 2021 season hasn't even started. I'm like, Super Bowl, baby. <laughs> Ready to go. Ready to go. I don't Baker. want to jinx it too much. Knock on wood. But we have, a, a, especially last year's team, proving what they could do. And the draft just happened with the guys that we picked up. I am I am really, really, for once, well, last year too, but really, really excited to see what the Browns do this year. So Hope springs eternal in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we always say there's always next year, but this year it actually feels like next year is here. <laughs> be fun. So, all right, Lenny, it's been a blast having you. Thank you so very much. Until next time, guys. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists, and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact. Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez. And former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern. And, of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOCNation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.